the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. If I have to lose $2 million in being obedient to God, then that's okay. And he cut him loose. And he realized it would be better to go in with 300,000 soldiers and God than 400,000 soldiers without God. And he trusted the Lord for the victory, and God indeed gave him the victory. But notice what Amaziah was willing to do. He was willing to count the cost. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Chronicles. Have you decided to follow Jesus? His disciples had to give up livelihoods and leave behind family to follow Jesus. But it's no different for his disciples today. Pastor Gary teaches through the life and reign of King Amaziah and what it cost him to obey God. What did you have to give up to follow him wholeheartedly? Perhaps he's asking you for something today, how precious it is to you. We'll learn that whatever we give up for Jesus is worth it. He can give us back much more. You can never outgive the one who gave his life. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Second Chronicles, chapters 21 to 28, for part one of today's message titled, The Cost of Following Jesus. Let me give a little bit of an introduction here, Second Chronicles 25, and then we'll jump in and read and dig out the text here. We are coming now to look at the eighth king of Judah. For those of you who like to take notes, here's a quick background on him. His name is Amaziah. In Hebrew, it is pronounced Amaziahu. Amaziahu translates Yahweh or God is mighty. Amaz from the Hebrew word meaning courage, strength, or might. And Yahweh, the suffix of his name. So it means God is mighty. He was the eighth king of Judah, ruling in Jerusalem. He was 25 when he became king, and he ruled 29 years, the Bible tells us. Tragically, however, he was killed by his officials for abandoning the Lord. Now, he is considered, I will tell you, he is considered by most Bible scholars, and you read commentaries, and they will consider Amaziah to be a relatively good king. He's listed on the A-list. But I have to be honest with you, I don't know why. Because when you look at his story, particularly here in chapter 25... 
It tells us in verse 2 that he did what was right, although not wholeheartedly. And when I look at his life personally, I see a lot more not wholeheartedly than I see he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But be that as it may, I'll leave it up to the scholars and commentaries and ultimately God to determine, you know, if he's good or bad. But while we study through the Kings, as we did through First and Second Kings and now into Chronicles, most of the time when we look at Kings, I will highlight the good things that they did and then we'll focus on like a bad thing that they did so that we don't repeat history. In Amaziah's case, I'm going to do the opposite. We're going to look at a couple of bad things that he did, but then we're going to focus more on the good thing that he did. And the good thing that he did is where I want us to start in our reading here in chapter 25. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10, and this is what it says. Amaziah called the people of Judah together and assigned them according to their families to commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He then mustered those 20 years old or more and found that there were 300,000 men ready for military service, able to handle the spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 fighting men from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God came to him, this is some unnamed prophet, and said, O king, these troops from Israel must not march with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the people of Ephraim. Even if you go and fight courageously in battle, God will overthrow you before the enemy, for God has the power to help or to overthrow. Amaziah asked the man of God, but what about the hundred talents I paid for these Israelite troops? The man of God replied, the Lord can give you much more than that. So Amaziah dismissed the troops who had come to him from Ephraim and sent them home. And they were furious with Judah and left for home in a rage. By the way, the reason they left in a rage, because why would they be so angry? You're going to get paid for doing nothing. But they were in a rage because in those days, your largest payment was received when you plundered the enemy. After you fought in a battle and you defeated an enemy, you got to plunder them. So they're going to miss out on the plunder. That's what they're really angry about here. But we'll take a look at Amaziah's life and learn something from him today. So first, the bad stuff with this guy. Amaziah goes to fight the Edomites, which are enemies of the Israelites. The Edomites, if you looked on a map, they lived in what is today modern Jordan. And he fights the Edomites, and the Lord gave him success. Now, typically, whenever you realize that the Lord has given you success with something, you might draw closer to the Lord and thank Him and glorify Him, not Amaziah. In fact, a very weird thing happens. After he defeats the Edomites, he doesn't exalt God at all. Look here further in chapter 25, verses 14 through 16. Look at these few verses. Verse 14. It says, When Amaziah returned from slaughtering the Edomites, he brought back the gods of the people of Seir, Okay, now Seir is within the region of Edom. So these are the gods of the people he just defeated. He set them up as his own gods, bowed down to them, and burned sacrifices to them. The anger of the Lord burned against Amaziah, and he sent a prophet to him who said, Why do you consult this people's gods which could not save their own people from your hand? And while he was still speaking, the king said to him, Have we appointed you an advisor to the king? Stop! Why be struck down? So the prophet stopped, but said, I know that God is determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not listened to my counsel. All right, so your attention here. What's going on? Very strange. 
Amaziah has success in fighting against the Edomites because God gave him success. But instead of glorifying God and celebrating God, he brings the false gods back from the Edomites that he just defeated, and he set them up in his house, and he bows down and he worships them. Now, does this make any sense? So here he is worshiping these false gods, and so this prophet comes to him and challenges him, says, King, you know, what's going on here? Why in the world would you bow down to gods that couldn't even save the very people you just defeated? They're not real. Why are you doing this? And King Amaziah says, yeah, why don't you just shut your big yapper right now? I don't want to hear any of this. I don't know who even asked you to speak, but if you don't be quiet right now, you're going to become part of a nonprofit organization. Do you know what I'm saying to you? And so he threatens him with death. And the prophet, as he's leaving, says, okay, fine. I won't say anything more except this. God's determined to destroy you now because you won't listen to my counsel. Now, you would think that even with that, Amaziah would step back and say, okay, well, I better rethink this. Maybe I shouldn't be worshiping these gods. I've kind of gotten off track here. But instead, he becomes emboldened. It goes to his head. He thinks to himself, man, I just had a great victory over the Edomites. I better strike while the iron is hot. Sends a letter up to the king of Israel to the north. Remember during this time that Israel is a divided kingdom. Amaziah is king of the southern kingdom of Judah, and he reigns in Jerusalem. But his brothers to the north are a part of the northern kingdom of Israel. The king at that time is a guy by the name of Jehoash. Amaziah sends a letter to him, Jehoash. Perhaps you heard about my great victory defeating the Edomites. That's right. That's what I did. And now if you're not careful, I'm going to come up there and I'm going to kick you. So why don't you just meet me in a back alley at 3 o'clock and we'll figure out who really is man. Jehoash reads this letter and he laughs. And he writes back. Here in chapter 25, this is all chapter 25, look at verse 19. Jehoash said to him, you say to yourself that you have defeated Edom, and now you are arrogant and proud. But stay at home. Why ask for trouble and cause your own downfall and that of Judah also? And then the next verse says, Amaziah, however, would not listen, for God so worked that he might hand them over to Jehoash because they sought the gods of Edom. Note that. God determined to humble Amaziah because Amaziah was worshiping the wrong gods. And he did not give glory to God for the victory over the Edomites. So Amaziah gets all full of himself and he starts taunting Jehoash to the north. Jehoash says, why don't you just have a cup of coffee and stay home? And Amaziah's like, no, we're going to fight. And fight they do. But God determined to humble Amaziah. And so Jehoash comes down to Jerusalem defeats Amaziah. The Bible says that he hauls off treasures from the temple of the Lord, silver and gold. He even hauls off treasures of Amaziah's personal resources from the palace. He knocks down a large section of the city walls of Jerusalem, and Amaziah is left a defeated, broken man. Jehoash goes back up to the north where he rules and leaves Amaziah just standing in a heap of ruins. And it tells us at the end of this chapter, look at how it closes, very tragic, verses 27 and 28. It says, From the time that Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they conspired against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent men after him to Lachish and killed him there. He was brought back by horse and was buried with his fathers in the city of Judah. That's the way this guy's life ends. He abandoned the Lord. His own people even turned on him and killed him. 
So that's the main commentary on this guy's life, which is why, again, I'm a little confused. Why is he on the A-list? I mean, why is he considered a good king here? Because there's a lot of stuff that he didn't do that right. But one of the things that he did do right is found here in the passage that we started with. And so if you'll glance back at verses 5 through 10, I want you to see again here, what is this one thing that he did well? Here's the background. As he's preparing for war against the Edomites, he takes a census of his own army. He counts 300,000 fighting men of the kingdom of Judah. And he says to himself, that's not enough. I need to have more in order to defeat the Edomites. So the Bible says here that he hires 100,000 Israeli soldiers from the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, this is not an unusual thing, really, when you think about it. I mean, he's a Jew. These are his fellow Jews to the north. So he thinks, I'll hire them. They'll fight with me against a common foe. He pays, the Bible says, 100 talents of silver and basically hires a mercenary army. Why don't you guys come fight for me? And he recruits 100,000 soldiers from the north. The problem is that the northern kingdom of Israel is not walking with God. They are in rebellion against the Lord. They are evil. They are wicked. They are idolaters. So an unnamed prophet is sent by God to challenge Amaziah. The prophet says, Amaziah, you should not recruit the 100,000 soldiers from the north. They don't walk with the Lord. They don't love the Lord. They're in rebellion to God. And if you recruit them as part of your army, God will defeat you. God will not allow you to be victorious. You need to cut them loose and let them go back home. Now, when the prophet says that to Amaziah, Amaziah's first immediate reaction is typical of any man in this situation. Amaziah says to the prophet, but well, what about all the money I just paid for these soldiers? Look at verse 9, first part of verse 9. Amaziah asked the man of God, but what about the hundred talents I paid for these Israelite troops? I mean, I just doled out a boatload of money to hire these guys. You want me just to send them back? Is that what you're saying? And let me put it in modern terms for you so you know just what he's cutting loose. He offers a hundred talents to hire them. hundred talents of silver. One talent was 75 pounds. So we offer 7,500 pounds of silver. Now, I did a little math. Silver on Friday closed at almost $16 an ounce. In modern street value, what he was giving up was $2 million. He had financed $2 million for these troops. The prophet comes along and says, you need to cut them loose. They're not good for you because they're rebellious against God. If you link them with your army, God will see that you're defeated. You don't want to do this. And Amaziah, to his credit, says, well, if that's what it takes, then I'm going to cut him loose. If I have to lose $2 million in being obedient to God, then that's okay. And he cut him loose. And he realized it would be better to go in with 300,000 soldiers and God than 400,000 soldiers without God. And he trusted the Lord for the victory, and God indeed gave him the victory. But notice what Amaziah was willing to do. He was willing to count the cost. He was willing to cut loose $2 million if that's what it took in this particular situation to be obedient to God. Now, I want you to hear how this translates because, listen, this idea of what will it cost us, we need to realize nothing that we lose 
can ever be compared to what we gain in Christ, folks. And nothing that we give up can compare with what Christ has already given up for you and me. This translates here. Amaziah courageously cut ties with the Israeli army, sent them back, and God gave him the victory. And let me encourage you. This is how it communicates in modern terms. I'm challenged by this story. Obedience will cost you something. To be a follower of Christ, it will cost you something. Nothing that we lose can ever compare to what we gain in Christ. And nothing that we ever give up can compare to what Christ has already given up for us. Okay, so I want to make that clear. Having said that, however, following Christ will cost us something. There is a cost involved in following Christ with all our hearts. It may cost you, as it did in the case of Amaziah, it may cost you materially. It may cost you professionally. It may cost you relationally. It may cost you personally. It may even cost you physically with your very life. There is a cost. And God calls us to count the cost. You know, in Galatians 5, verse 1, the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Please understand, freedom is given freely. But freedom was not gained freely. Freedom was gained at a cost. And the cost was the blood of Jesus Christ that He shed on the cross for you and me. When Jesus Christ offers His life, He lays down His life in what is ultimately described as the great exchange. It was His life for your life and my life. He took on our sin and gave us His righteousness. He took on our punishment and gave us His peace. He sacrificed His life so that we might have life. That's what Christ has done for us. Freely given, not freely gained, because it cost Him everything. His own blood that He shed on the cross so that we might have the freedom from sin and death and be able to go to heaven when we die. That's all a free gift, and it is given freely. But Jesus then says to us, but you're going to have to count the cost. Because I freely offer you all of this that I died for. Eternal life, the rich reward of heaven, having your sins forgiven. But if you want to follow me, Jesus says, there is a cost. Go now to Luke chapter 14 for the other half of our study. These closing verses of Luke chapter 14 are honestly some of the most challenging words that Jesus speaks. And it all has to do with whether or not we're really willing to count the cost and follow Him. In Luke 14, let me read the first couple of verses from verse 25 through 27. Verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Please note that. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, He said, if anyone comes to Me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Again, I haven't even read the entire section here, but these are some of the most sobering and challenging words that Jesus speaks, aren't they? 
The Bible says here in verse 25, a large crowd is following him. I want you to imagine this, okay? A large crowd. How many? Hundreds, maybe thousands. They're following Jesus. Sorry, he's walking somewhere. And here's all these people following him. And Jesus turns around and he says, this is incredible. I love this. This is wonderful. All these people. What a great crowd. Hey, next week, bring back a friend. No, that's not what he does at all. What Jesus does, instead of responding with excitement, he responds with skepticism. And he looks at all these people who are following him and he says, I've got to be real with you. I'm not sure some of you are really following me. I mean, I know you're following me, but I'm not sure you're really following. Now at this moment, if there were some church growth experts in the crowd, they would have shouted, Jesus, why don't you just stop talking right now? You're going to run off most of this large crowd. And it's all about the crowd, isn't it? It's not always about the crowd. Jesus has no problem in essence, challenging people and weeding out the large crowd. And that's this whole closing section here of chapter 14 of Luke. He says, listen, if you really want to follow me, you're going to have to learn. Here's the challenge. Do you love me more than you love your father, your mother, your kids, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband? Yes. Do you love me even more than you love your own life? That's what he means by hating those things. He says, because if you don't, You cannot be my disciple. And are you willing to take up your cross if necessary and follow me? Because that's where I'm going. I'm going to a cross. I'm going to stretch out my hands and my feet on a wooden splintered cross, and I'm going to die for the sins of the world. You really want to go with me? You really want to count the cost? You understand what you're getting yourselves into? Now, the whole idea and concept of the cross is somewhat so far removed from us that we may not understand. The people of his day understood it. They understood Roman cross, crucifixion, humiliating, painful, degrading, the most horrific way and brutal way that somebody could die. Jesus says, you willing to do that for me? In modern terms, it was as if Jesus said, are you prepared to take a bullet for me? You ready to die for me? And I ask you, Think about this. It's an incredibly challenging thought, but if someone were to point a gun at your face and ask if you're a Christian, and you're thinking to yourself, if I probably say no, I might live. If I say yes, I'm going to die. And would you say yes? Because Jesus says this might be required of you. It's what was required of 21 Coptic Egyptian Christians who were beheaded by ISIS on a beach of Libya, and their blood ran into the Mediterranean Sea all because they were Christians. Yes, we're willing to die. Cut off our heads if you need to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he wrote Cost of Discipleship, was very outspoken against Nazi Germany and Hitler as a Lutheran pastor. And shortly after he wrote Cost of Discipleship, he would live it out because Hitler would put his head in a noose and hang him in 1945. At the age of 39, Bonhoeffer would die just because he was outspoken against something as a Christian. That's why he was killed. Jesus said, are you really ready for this? Do you love me more than your father, your mother, your brother, sister, spouses, kids? Are you willing to die if necessary? Because that's where I'm heading. And then he illustrates it further on here in Luke 14. He says this, verse 28, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he's enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it, note that, will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 
So Jesus makes this opening statement about, you love me more than anything and anyone? You willing to die for me? And then he says, let me illustrate it to you this way. Nobody sits down and plans to build without realizing if they have all the money and all the construction materials to finish this project. How ridiculous would it look if you got halfway finished and couldn't complete the project? He says, don't follow me unless you can go all the way. This is not halfway. This is not half-hearted. This has to be, you're all in. He says, I want you to count the cost and consider, are you all in for me? The book of Second Chronicles takes us through more of the history of the nation of Israel, sharing the trials and triumphs and the faithfulness of God. Pastor Gary is taking us through this Old Testament book here on Cornerstone Connection. And we pray you've been encouraged by the message you heard today. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, we'd love to have you come join us for one of our weekend services. Our group of believers gathers each week on Sundays and Wednesdays to get to know each other, study God's Word, and spend time worshiping Him for all He's done. Service times and directions can be found on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, be sure to check out more about the church and the activities we have for all ages. You can also access our archive of previous messages under the teaching tab. Did you know you can also take the biblically sound messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go? Just download our mobile app to your smartphone for access to each teaching as it's made available. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary has much more to share with us as he continues digging into the book of Second Chronicles. So we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.